With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Running for me is as much about how it makes me feel psychologically and, and mentally as it is the physical benefits that come from it. And also it's been my ticket around the world. I've, I've gotten to travel to a lot of amazing places to run these races. So if you've been thinking about a marathon or considering it for years, take this as your sign. Go ahead and, and pick one and, and sign up and commit. Yay Networks. A quick note before we dive into today's podcast. If you like what you hear, I would love for you to subscribe to Fueled Wellness and Nutrition wherever you download your podcast. It would also be incredible if you take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Those things do matter and they really help us. One of the things I love best about hosting this podcast, our Fueled Wellness and Nutrition podcast, is that I'm continually learning, having conversations with experts on different topics and different areas and hearing their research, their experiences, what works for them and learning things that we can take away from that ourselves. We can find that inspiration, that education. And a lot of times it just gives us that little extra edge or that extra little nudge to try something new. So this week, I'm really excited to share with y'all marathon fueling. And you may be like, wait a second, Molly, like I'm not down for training for a marathon just yet, but hear us out. So you could be training for a full marathon, the 26 miles. You could be doing a half marathon, 13, or you can even hear what we're talking about today in fueling and really apply it to any type of longer or endurance exercise or even shorter endurance. And what I'll say, part of the reason we wanted to do this podcast now is we have the New York City Marathon coming up right around the corner. Also, we would say, yeah, of course, that's too soon to get ready for that. And there's a whole bunch of other things that even go into doing that marathon. Of course, it's too late to do that one if you weren't already planning for it. But now is the time to start preparing. If you've had that seed of an idea, like maybe I want to do a marathon, there's a lot of spring marathons on the horizon. So now is a really perfect time to start thinking about how you're going to start training, how you're going to start fueling your body. So to help talk through this with me and kind of share from her perspective. I am joined by one of my favorite wellness writers, Caitlin Carlson. I've done a lot of interviews with Caitlin over the years where usually she is interviewing me about a topic. So Caitlin, welcome. I'm excited to finally have you. So excited to be here, Molly. And what a great topic. It's also one like, you know, I know it's the same with you. You're interviewing a lot of different experts on wellness that you're going to be featuring in different content that you're, you're writing and creating. Same for me. I work with a lot of different writers who may be asking, hey, can we do an interview on this topic? I remember the very first interview you and I ever did. Like, It was immediately I was talking to you as if like I had known you forever. Totally. No, it's so true. And it continues, it continues to be that way sometimes. Yeah. You know, experts, you just, you just hit it off. Yeah. Like-minded people and all that. So much. And so we had the opportunity to get together in person just a couple of months ago. You live in Manhattan and we were there um, in August. And so got to meet in person. So I was really happy about that. And so we would, okay, why Caitlin? Why did I ask Caitlin to join me for this? So 
she, well, I guess tell us yourself because you're a writer. You've covered marathon fueling and performance for years, but you've also competed in a whole bunch of them. Yes, exactly. So I started my career, um, well, technically at Women's Health Magazine back in around 2011. But prior to that, I interned at Runner's World Magazine in London, where I got my master's degree in journalism. Um, And then even at Women's Health, I kind of naturally fell into the fitness space, um, kind of gravitated there more than nutrition and some of the other topics that they covered. From there, I went to Shape Magazine. I was at Men's Fitness for a while. um, And then heading up, I was a deputy editor at Equinox's digital magazine called Furthermore. And in all of these places, I, I covered running quite a bit. And as you mentioned, also, I have done a lot of running myself. I've run 10 marathons in total, including the six world marathon majors. That's London, Chicago, New York, Boston, Berlin, and Tokyo. You've done all of those. Um, I've done all of those. Um, over the course of um, about, about three years, it, it took me to, to take them all off. Honestly, the the travel component was, um, you know, just kind of the best part, I would say, even more so than kind of the physicality of of the marathon running and and that accomplishment. Are there six majors in total or are there more? That's it. So there's been talk that there's potential to add a seventh. Um, I don't know if and when that will happen, but right now those are the ones that have been deemed the, the majors. When you did the first one, did you set out to say, okay, I want to do all six? Was that sort of like an intention? It, it kind of turned into a, um, it was kind of accidental, I guess I would say. I, I um, was supposed to run the New York City Marathon the year that Hurricane Han- Sandy hit New York City and it ended up being canceled. So I had a friend in London from Runner's World that said, come run London in April and kind of, you know, make up for, for having missed out on, on New York. And when I went to London, um, they had kind of signage everywhere for these world marathon majors. And I was super intrigued. Like, what is this? Did a little investigating. Turned out London and and New York are both majors. And I had a deferred entry to New York for the following November. So I'm like, wow, I already have two out of six pretty much banked. How do I get these other four? Um, you know, some of them came easier than others. And Tokyo is one that I thought I would just like to do it in my lifetime. You know, didn't think I would be able to to take it off right away. Um, but I had a good friend who really wanted to go to Japan, really encouraged me to kind of get all the details sorted out. And um, I went with three of my best girlfriends oh, that's to so Tokyo cool. for a week and a half. And it was, it was incredible um, and was able to check off that, that last marathon. How did you get into running? Was it something that you did through college? Is it something you grew up as a runner? Because that's, I remember the first time that I tried to run a mile. It was like, I remember, and I was young. I was in, I was 15, 16. I thought I was not going to be able, it was like around the block and I didn't think I could make it back home. And it wasn't even that far. I had a similar experience, actually. Um, I was on the cheerleading team in college for a couple of years at Fordham University um, in the Bronx in New York. And as part of our practice, we ran a mile um, around the track in the gym. And I could so not you had, like, do you, you it had to spectators. save my life. Like other people exactly. with you. Yes. It, and everybody else could do it. Like it was no problem. And it was like, I would always have to, I would get like three laps around and then just like have to walk the last lap. And and there was one other girl that sometimes would 
would kind of fall back with me, but I was determined <laughs> to be able to run a mile. Yes. So I, I worked really hard. I had, I had a good friend and roommate at the time. We would just go, you know, try to run laps around the track together. Finally was able to do it. And then they said, well, next year it's going to be two miles. How long did it take you to get to where you could do a mile without stopping? In my mind, it like took me like forever, but probably a couple months realistically. Yeah. yeah. Of just doing it, like, you know, repetition and, yeah. um, and just, just really practice and, and determination. And then getting to two miles, it took me like a summer. It was like my summer project, like having the summer off from college. And I did it in a gym. I remember I like ran on a treadmill and I hit the two mile mark. And then I like went and laid under a fan <laughs> in the locker room afterwards. Um, Your cheeks are like bright red. You're like overheated, but you're like, I did it. You know, and I think it's so good to hear that because you've done 10 marathons. You're 34. I'm 47. I've done one marathon and multiple half marathons and different types of other like types of endurance events. And so for me, running was always something that I did or a lot of people who know me as an adult would know I don't run now because of like hip injuries, which actually was more overuse injuries, which is a whole separate topic. So I do more walking now, which actually still brings me a lot of pleasure and joy. I I wouldn't have thought that as a runner that walking would be satisfying, but it really is. But I think that someone would see me running and they would never know, nor would they know this about you, just how hard those first miles are. And it's really just setting your mind. I, I really remember being where I was in the neighborhood and I thought, I'm sitting on the ground here and I don't think I can get back home. Like I'm going to have to ask like a neighbor for help. It was so challenging. I joined the cross country team and I knew that I had this summer to try to get to where I could like somewhat keep up. But Caitlin, here's what we did. Like I got really into running where I enjoyed it more even in college and high school joining the cross country team was sort of like, I don't have another option. I have to get myself like <laughs> acclimated to this. We would yeah. tuck. So it was, a, I went to a high school that we had, we lived near these beautiful lakes near the LSU lakes in Baton Rouge and our cross country team would go running around the lakes and there was a certain route we were supposed to do. But my friend and I, we would like tuck money like in our socks and we would go to the frozen yogurt shop, like right down the street. And we would go the way with everyone. And then we sort of cut off. Not every time. I mean, we did do a lot of the runs, but there was other days that we would just do that. And then we would come back and she would know our, our coach would know. And we would be like, how can she tell we didn't do it? Obviously she could tell we had not just run six miles or whatever we were supposed to run that day. Like <laughs> clearly we had not, you know, but as a, as a kid, hilarious. you're thinking, God, how does she know this? You know, <laughs> yes. so it yeah, evolved so much, sneaky. much past that. So anyone who's listening and is like, I really struggle with that. It's trying to get your wind. It's trying to get your pace. It's trying to kind of find that rhythm. Just know, like hearing Caitlin, who's done 10 marathons, six world marathon majors, it's possible, you know, and everyone truly is starting somewhere. And we all remember those moments and also those cringing, embarrassing moments because we think maybe we were younger and you think, well, that's easy. And then you're like, wow, it's not. No, that's, it's so true. And like, I really do, like, I, I love that, like talking about this experience that, that I had, because I think you're right. I think a lot of people just assume that like you're either a runner or you're not. I've had a lot of people say to me like, oh, I could never run a marathon. And for me, it's like, you can. If, like if you're like a reasonably healthy person, you absolutely can with some training. 
if you don't want to, cause it's not your thing and you'd rather like do other types of exercise, like totally cool. But I like, I always want people to know, like you really can, it's, it's totally doable. And like, I'm saying that from someone who I, I could not run a mile, it took me months to be able to, to work up to where I could run a mile without stopping. And we'll also say your pace is moderate. Like you have a moderate and impressive pace, but you're not, you're you're not, you know, winning like the the awards. You're not in it to compete with other people. You're doing it for your own personal satisfaction. Totally. It's funny because my my dad has come to watch me in multiple marathons and um, he always jokes with me that he's like, I'm going to stop coming. You never win. (laughs) He's like, every time you lose. But, you know, uh, my pace is, you know, my best, marathon time is um I think around 355 so just under four hours which is my goal so you know I, I think respectable but certainly not like super competitive right. I, I really it's it's more of a hobby for me right. and um and that kind of thing in setting those personal goals and then you know I would imagine each time you're like okay if, if you were to do another you might try to like you know beat your best time with each race like okay based on the conditions or climate and such exactly before we, we're going to talk fueling, of course, and we're going to talk, you know, nutrition around it. But just out of curiosity, which has been your favorite marathon in terms of the city or the route or just everything around it? So my favorite marathon experience was Chicago. And which is, you know, Chicago is a great city, but like maybe kind of surprising yeah. based on all the other cities. Berlin, Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Like and I also ran one in Paris, which is not a yeah. major, but was, was another one. But the day in Chicago, it was just one of those, like, it was perfect weather. I really like the way that the race is run. There's like no pomp and circumstance. Well, very little pomp and circumstance at the, at the start. You just kind of like walk up and start running versus like New York City. You have to take like a ferry or a bus and go to Staten Island and sit in a cold field for like three hours start and it's all it's all worth it but um but chicago was like just a roll up and go more chill yeah and it was just it was just a really great day and, and and good memories and that was actually my my marathon pr was was in that race but you know the in terms of just like travel experiences in in cities like definitely going to japan and, and seeing tokyo was like just incredible and you know it wasn't like the in the top probably five places in the world that I wanted to go. I like mainly went to run this race and now I want to go back and, and see more of, of the country and of Tokyo. And um, yeah, it was life changing for sure. And running through a place like that, I would imagine there's parts of the race, like parts of running the 26.2 miles that like the time has passed so much because there's so much around you that's so stimulating to take yeah. in and look at. Because it just keeps going in a place like Tokyo. It, all marathons kind of feel like that. Like long runs, for me, not so much. Like a 20-mile long run feels like a three-hour endeavor. <laughs> like a 20-mile long run. But there's something about like race day. It's like all of these major marathons do have big crowds. And yeah. that like really helps. Even yeah. if you're not going to run a major, but you um, want to run a marathon, I would say for your first one, look for one that's like in a big city or kind of encourages big crowds. Yes. It helps so much with the energy. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely, every single one, it's like, it, obviously it's, it's hard. You struggle, there's ups, there's downs, but um, overall, I think every time 
I'm kind of like surprised that I'm at the finish line. Right, <laughs> right. Because um, it does go by quickly. Talk to me about how you're fueling, you know, because you're right, it's it's a lot. You're pushing your body to these limits that are, you know, really unnatural for us to to go, you know, most of us are just not, it's not something that, you know, like we said, it was hard for us to run half a mile or even a mile when we started. So the fact that you're asking your body to perform, to run for 26.2 miles, almost four hours of time that you're doing this, how are you fueling? So let's talk about kind of like what it looks like let's start first, maybe actually even like during that window. I know, you know, so for our listeners, when we talk about like fueling for something like a long event, like a marathon, we're going to be talking about what to eat before. And by before we might mean morning of night before the week of the week before. And then there's during, and then there's after for recovery. But since we're kind of talking about the experience of actually running that race and, and kind of putting our bodies not putting it through that, but sort of. Let's talk about like what your choices are and how you how you choose to fuel your body during that race. Sure. So for me personally, usually if it's less than eight or nine miles, I won't bring anything. So um, a training run. Some, a training, a training run. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Ideally, you have some water, but um, but anything over nine miles, and then of course on marathon on race day. Um, I usually go with just like the good old fashioned, like goo, like the capital G goo, Mm -hmm. like little energy gels. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not the cleanest. And I've seen now, um, like as still a fitness writer, lots of innovative products in the space and like a a couple of brands that come to mind, Spring Energy is one that I saw recently. So I'm interested in kind of looking into those alternative options, but at, up to this point, I've really kind of stuck with the the good old fashioned goo gels and, you know, making sure you have water when you take them. But yeah, would love to experiment a little bit more. You know, goo always, it's been, as I mentioned, a little while since I've run or done a marathon, but goo was also, it was sort of one of the first ones that came to market. And so I think it's kind of one of those that's like, it's just that go-to for a lot of people. Like you said, there's yeah. a lot of new brands that have come out. So by any means, what we'll talk about is goo. And again, it's GU, like Caitlin said. It's essentially like a carbohydrate gel and a little pouch. And I remember like training for a race, like if you had like the vanilla or the chocolate, you were like really, you know, you would feel depleted. And then it was almost like such a luxurious treat to have this goo. It was like, and I would yeah. like tell, you know, he was my boyfriend then, husband and now, like, I'd be like, no, try this. It is like, Vanilla icing. It is like chocolate icing. This is like really, and he was like, Molly, this is horrible. And, but like in the moment when you're out there, like it is like, feels really decadent. So for someone who's like, that seems weird, like squeezing a carbohydrate gel out of a pouch. It is. We acknowledge it. But there's different flavors. There's, there's sweet, there's salty, there's different ones. One thing that I'll say about them, they have about, you know, 20, 25 grams of carbs each. They're mostly like maltodextrin and, and essentially sugars and these quickly digested, quickly utilized sugars. The sodium in them is relatively low, only about 60 milligrams. Did you add another salt source? I didn't actually, no, but maybe I should be. Did you put any, what would you drink during yours? Just straight water usually. Oh, Caitlin, yeah. I have room to optimize. Yeah, (laughs) they have about 60. So as you were doing it, you still got some sodium. And I was looking, you know, they have a salted caramel, a salted watermelon, and like the salted watermelon has about like 
120, 125 milligrams of sodium. And so that's just something for people to think about like as you're, as you're in the longer runs. And so you heard Caitlin say that when she said anything over about eight or nine miles. So the good rule of thumb is if it's going to be more than about an hour and a half of workout, of cardio, of extended cardio, that's when. And so for, for you, that translated to probably about that nine mile mark. Yeah. So for our listeners, you know, it may be nine miles for you. It may not be. But if you're, if you're training, running, cycling, and it's under that 90 minutes, we really, for the most part, we don't need to supplement with those extra carbohydrates or sugars during that, that longer training session or event. But like she was saying, when it's that nine miles or 90 minutes or longer, then we start looking. And something like goo is one. What are some of the others that you've seen people do along the way that you find interesting along the race route? Sometimes courses have like interesting things. They like have like a table set up and they'll be like giving away like banana, like bananas cut in half. I've seen orange slices. I've heard people talk about certain like international marathons having like random things. I'm trying to think of an example. I wonder if like Nutella or something would be in any of the international ones. But like something like that, that's like a very like, maybe that would be in in France or um, there is a marathon in France called the Marathon du Medoc, M-E-D-O-C. And it's through all of these like gorgeous vineyards. I haven't done it, but I would love to do it. And you drink wine and like eat like pastries no. and cakes like throughout the marathon. No. Is it and still so 26.2 miles? Yes. It is. Wow. It is. Yeah. I wonder how many people don't finish it. That's a good question. <laughs> I know the few people that I know who have done it. It's obviously not one to be like trying to get a personal right. record or anything like that. And they'll, you know, I think there's a lot of walking. Right. It's more like a experience than it is. Yes. To, like, the running aspect. Yeah. But. People probably like strategize. Okay, I'm going to run the first half of it. And then we're going to walk the second half. Like in New Orleans, we have things called like the red dress runs and stuff like that. And it's men, women, all dressed up in red dresses. But it's really a drinking walk through the French Quarter. You know, it's not really a run. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so part of the reason that something like goos or gels are also really easy is that they're so portable. And so you can kind of just keep them like in your pocket, you can keep them in a zipper pocket or like a little pouch, just really, really easily. Things that are beyond that are sometimes harder for people to take the time, stop, open it, eat it, you know? So I think thinking of what's going to be really easy for hydration, I love, um, and I wonder how you would do with this because you would just do water. So you would get like uh, water from a station or water that you carry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I usually, um, I train with like one of those handheld water bottles. There's like tons of different options on the market now. Like those like kind of camelback types with the straw. There's like waste packs that hold the bottles. I found that like the handheld that has the strap that goes around the hand works best for me. And I actually have run a few marathons with that. And I would just go to the aid station and like open it and a volunteer would pour the right. water in there. Because it's really, it has like the little sipper top. So it's easier than like a cup. Right. On the course, you kind of have to like stop to drink that. But other times I've, I've, um, I've just relied on, on what they provide. One thing that I'll encourage our listeners is if you're, when you're looking at, okay, how much fluid are you drinking? And what type of fluid are you drinking? having water or sports drink, but on sports drinks, I love the noon tablets in UUN and they're very low sugar because you would be getting the sugars from the goo. So you don't need extra sugars from the sports drink. 
but they'll have over like 300 milligrams of sodium in them. And so you could then just have the little tablets that are super easy to just drop into the water bottle, like at a station that doesn't really take any extra time or slowing down. Um, There's other products like locally here in the New Orleans area, there's a brand called My High that's, uh, but they're more like longer stick packs that you would kind of pour that into it. It could be a little more cumbersome. The tablets of noon would probably be something really easy to put in there. You know, someone is doing a traditional sports drink, like a Gatorade or Powerade, the electrolytes in that are, are relatively low compared to something like noon and the sugars are high. So I don't love, you know, if someone's doing like a goo and a Gatorade Powerade, you're kind of getting, yeah, double sugars, but you're also not getting really much electrolytes at all. So if you did a goo and then you're hydrating with something like the noon, that works. I have a question about when you're running with that strapped on one hand, do you change arms? So it kind of keeps the weight yeah. distribution? I would think so. Yeah. I will. I feel like it kind of happens like organically. Yeah. Like I'll, I, like I don't think about it. It's yeah. Just, I just kind of like will shift it that around fatigue. Like as I go. The other thing to keep in mind, and again, just for our listeners, like when you're thinking about how often, so something like that goo or those gels are about 20, 25 grams of carbs, something like that. Or she said, you know, like if it's the banana halves or something like that, that might be placed out there for you. If you're on your own training, you're probably not carrying bananas on your person, but like it might be along the race route. Having something like that about every 45 minutes works well for most people. And again, like, you know, our team of dietitians or any dietitian that's a sports specific dietitian can also walk you through like your own protocol. But hydration, that's one that can be hard for people because if you're not thinking of it, you let yourself get too de- too, too far in the hole And then if you're drinking too quickly, you're going to cramp up. So did you kind of set yourself on a pace for how much fluid along the way? Yeah, I typically, I think my rule was kind of like every other hydration station, I would stop. My main thing was always drinking when I had a goo. So that every 45 minutes that you mentioned was exactly what I followed. And I would always have like a full cup of water with it. Um, just because they recommend that for helping you to digest right. it. But then it also kind of forced me to like stay on top of my right. hydration a little bit better. So like looking at you know, so the, the actual like guidelines, like the sport specific guidelines for hydration are higher than what I'm about to say. But what I find that works well for people is aiming for at least like four to six ounces, like every 15 to 20 minutes. And that's not even what is like the full recommendation. But I'm thinking we would just be sloshing. Like if you're drinking like eight ounces of fluid or eight to 12 ounces every 15 minutes, that would be hard. And so setting yeah. yourself on a schedule, like for, so for Caitlin, she would make sure that, you know, she would have, it sounds like a cup of water every 45 minutes or looking at every other race station or however they fall, it's setting yourself on a rhythm so you don't forget, especially if you're in a climate where it's colder, you may not feel as thirsty. Um, you may not realize you're losing as much sweat. And so making sure you kind of put yourself on a schedule and like, it also can kind of break up that stretch of a run. Like if you have your, like a little alarm going off every 15 minutes, that reminds you to take a four ounce sip of your water, kind of breaks it up along the way. And I think too, like, I know we're going to get into this at some point, but kind of going into the race while hydrated. Yes, yes. And not yes. kind of like you said, in the getting yourself in the hole. It's like it kind of starts like before you even start running. Yeah. And and so kind of like the the prehydration. So thinking about there's there's other things like I've had clients tell me that they'll do things like 
a peanut butter sandwich and peanut butter with honey versus peanut butter with jelly because the jelly would like slip out of the bread or kind of get, you know, like it, yeah. it plops more. Whereas like the honey's <laughs> going to like stick it better. And having like a little kind of a fanny pack, you called it something the other day when we talked. What do you call it? A spy belt. It's like SPI belt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a brand. It's like okay, a yeah. little. Let like a little pack. more streamlined than a fanny pack for someone. Yes. Um, yes. But in these packs, I've had clients who would tell me that they would take more than just the goose because the goose felt like, especially on something like, you know, a, a longer event, they would feel like it was just so kind of like sicky sweet and they couldn't do any more. So um, a peanut butter honey kind of cut into fours and it would just be a mashed mess by the time they got to it. And so that was always a little surprising to me, but some people who preferred that real food to give them that carb and, and fuel there. There's also different types of like gels are almost like gummies. And so um, like Cliff has the little shot blocks and they're almost like gummies that are sort of like how the gel, like the goo is like the gel you squeeze into your mouth. The Cliff blocks are also kind of these little carbohydrate based blocks. They have a margarita that has more sodium in it. So I think just for our listeners, like breaking it up into, okay, well, I love, I love the sweet. I like doing the goos and doing those every 45 minutes works. And it's not a crazy long amount of time, even if it's four hours every 45 minutes or breaking it up with something like the margarita, higher salt content of the cliff shot blocks, you know, looking at what your hydration is, but ultimately it's, how are you going to fuel those hours with something that you can carry very easily? Yeah. And so actually I'm curious what your professional opinion is of this. When I was in college, I used to get a, I would come in to Central Park to run on Wednesdays for a long run. And I would buy a pack of m M&M, or no Skittles um, from like the little bodega outside of the park. And throughout the run, I would just have like a couple Skittles, a couple Skittles and kind of just like pace it like that. Mentally, like psychologically great because <laughs> it, you were like looking forward to those little hits of sugar and, and candy. But in my mind, it was like the goo basically is this. It's it's just a bunch of, of fructose and, and glucose. So, you know, I would kind of, say kind of a similar. Thing. Yeah, I would <laughs> say, if, you know, it's um, there's more. <laughs> I'm sure the goo people would be like the goo company would be like, it is. We're more <laughs> than more Skittles. Than <laughs> <laughs> we're more than Skittles. But Yes. I mean, when we're looking at, you know, Skittles might be something sucrose, probably I'm guessing is what's in Skittles, just straight table sugar. Whereas fructose is the the carb source for the goose, a little slower digested, um, a little lower glycemic, I guess we would say on the goose. But I can't say that, you know, if someone was like, hey, I'm on a budget or this is what's here, this is what's available. Or God bless if someone just loves Skittles and they're like, so I run, (laughs) I run while I feed them to myself. That's not what we're encouraging. You do not need to, (laughs) if you want to indulge in your Skittles, we can find a way for you just to have your Skittles. You don't have to go running a marathon in order to. You don't have to run to have your Skittles. Right. Um, (laughs) Something that came to mind, actually, and I think this was our very first interview together, was I found it really entertaining, the, the concept of potatoes and we saw that this research (laughs) (laughs) research was like funded by the potato industry i believe about the the carbohydrates and potatoes being an optimal fuel source which is yes i mean true 
but you they had studied basically what we're talking about of goo, these sweet kind of packets that you squeeze into your mouth. But it was potato starch like that. Yeah. That was potato exactly. puree that people were consuming during endurance events. I was like, that sounds horrible. And messy. And messy. You're right. Because <laughs> like in what kind of packet were they? They probably weren't in the fancy little packets like the goos or the other energy gels. Maybe they were like out of a Ziploc. Although, you know, we were saying like if someone gets like tired of the sweet, sweet, sweet of the goos, maybe they would want to make like a little savory potato puree. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm picturing people with like syringes filled, like oversized syringes filled with like savory potato puree. And that's like their alternative to their goose. <laughs> you're welcome. Anybody who just heard that and you're training for the marathon and you take that. Okay. On the goose, back to that. Tell me about the caffeine because I had, I have like more kind of like GI issues and I'll realize that, you know, certain things I'm sensitive to that maybe I didn't know, but wow, I did some caffeinated goose at one point for a race. And I think I had to stop along the race route like a dozen times. It was awful. So some of the goose yeah. are caffeinated, some aren't. Yeah. They, they come in like all different amounts, which is kind of cool because then you can really customize. And now that I've learned a lot more about like what is 50 milligrams of caffeine, right. what is 100 milligrams, I've kind of started to customize. So I'll get a couple different ones yeah. and like strategize where on the course I'm going to have the different amounts of caffeine. But for a while, I was using the 100 milligram goose. And during a marathon, I would, I think I have, I think I bring four gels, but usually just use three. And with having three, like 100 milligram of caffeine gels, that's so each 300 is milligrams. Like a full cup of coffee, each basically. Is 100. A full cup of coffee. Exactly. So, like a cup of coffee, I think it's like about what, 80 to 100 milligrams is right. in a cup of coffee. Um, so this was like three cups of coffee on top of whatever caffeine I had before my run. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, let me have a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, I luckily was not experiencing any negative side effects like digestively or otherwise. My theory was that maybe because I was running, right. I was processing it quicker than if I was just like sitting here in my living room. It, it might, up. you know, give me heart palpitations right. or something to have that much caffeine. Um, but now that I understand how much it is, I will bring one hundred milligram gel and then I'll get one that's like a, maybe a 25 or something like that and have, maybe I'll have the 25 at like mile four, five, and then the next one make that kind of like the big one when you're like really starting to struggle. To, to kind of so. just give you that little extra edge. And, and we know when we are talking about, you know, the science of caffeine and, and performance fueling, there is a benefit, what, you know, what would be called like an ergogenic benefit or a performance benefit to adding that caffeine strategically like you do. So I think, I think that makes a lot of sense of kind of going that lower dose and that first third of it and then going with a little heftier yeah. dose kind of like to get you over that, that hump for it. Talk to me about during, you know, that, that training leading up to it because there's so much misconception about carb loading, you know, like I mean, back in the 70s, eight, or maybe not 70s as much, I guess the marathons were starting to get you know, more, more popular then, but 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, it was like, oh, I need a carbohydrate load. And you know, the recommendation would be to significantly taper your exercise the entire week really leading up to the event. So go really hard in your training and almost like deplete your, yourself and then really taper it down to where you did 
very little as it got closer. And then at the same time, really ramp up your carbohydrate intake. And the idea was that it would almost like super saturate our muscles glycogen stores. Glycogen is that carbohydrate stored in our muscles. But we're realizing that's not really the case, that that's not necessary. Yeah, I definitely used to consume a lot more carbs because I thought I needed to for all the reasons that you just mentioned, especially around a long run. Um, I do think, you know, going, and I would love to hear kind of your like specific recommendations around this, um, but, you know, adding a little bit more carb in the days leading up the night before, and then, you know, getting some carbs in your system race morning, definitely important. But I think it's more of like an incremental increase and not like the classic, like giant bowl of pasta, you know, leading leading up to race day and, and all of that. Yeah, I totally agree. It's one of these where, you know, when we talk about like how much is, how much carbs are in typical foods, like a typical slice of grainy bread may have like 15 or 20 grams of carbs and a half of a cup of rice or pasta or potatoes, sweet potatoes, even if it's the you know brown rice or sweet potatoes, is also about 15 or 20 grams of carbs. And a half of a cup, I like to use the example that that's what fits into a cupcake wrapper. And so it's really not a lot. And so if someone has a big old bowl of pasta, that might be five cups of pasta, which could be the equivalent of 10 cups of bread, for example. I mean, 10 slices of bread. And so, yes, the equivalent of you know, 30, 40, 60 grams of carbohydrate even, which might be the equivalent of, you know, two to four slices of bread, depending on someone's size, how they're normally eating. If you're normally not eating much starch at all and you're not a a tall or broad person, then, you know, 30 grams of carbs at a time throughout might be sufficient, maybe 45 or 60 for others. And looking at how often you're going to, you know, put that through the day, I would say though, a lot of people have certain things that they may really enjoy. It might be, you know, freshly made pasta or it might be pizza. And it may be something that those aren't things that they're normally putting into their their normal repertoire of food because they're trying, they want to do things like more vegetables or fish or things like this. And that's almost, it is the time that, yeah, go ahead and treat yourself with those. But realizing that it might be a lot less than like what we thought. And then yeah. if you did have you know, that pasta, then we probably don't also need the bread, the dessert, the extras, you know, so sort of choosing like, maybe it's that one source of a carbohydrate or a starch that is really, you know, enjoyable to you. And that's really your favorite. And that's what you're choosing and using to get that extra little dose of carbs in the days leading up. But I, I definitely think in the three, four days leading up to it, for our listeners, take that opportunity to not just in the evenings, but throughout the day, kind of bump up that carbohydrate intake, you know, every three, four hours through. It doesn't have to just be this uh, stark shooting lineup of carbs and a sharp cutoff of exercise. Totally. And so for me, how that kind of looked would be like little swaps. Like I would get a a salad at at CHOP in New York City um, most days of the week for my lunch during the time I was doing a lot of these marathons they had an option to put it in a wrap. So the day before a long run, I would I would get the salad inside right. the wrap to like up my carbs a right. little bit. Um, something else I, all my friends know about pizza and wine Fridays. Um, during marathon training on Friday nights, I would have a long run planned for Saturday. You know, they'd all be out to dinner or, or you know, whatever kind of social event and I would have to sit out, you know, you do give up a little bit of, of your social life if you're tra- uh, training for something like this. 
But I would order pizza and have like one glass of wine because I found for me, everyone's different. But for me, it was enough to really enjoy it. But I didn't feel like it took away from like my sleep or, or my performance if I had it kind of early enough in the evening. And then the pizza part, like, yes, definitely I was getting the carbs. And also just something kind of psychologically to, to look forward to. Um, and I love those kind of rituals and things like that, too. And it is sort of like, it's exactly as you said, it's a ritual. And it's a fun part of, you know, you're putting your body through these things that are, they're challenging. They're maybe even like painful at times. They're hard. Sometimes it's hard to get up in that morning and do that run. And so to have those things, you know, you know there's always the conversation of, do you use food as a reward or all these things? And in this moment, I would say, heck yeah. You know, like at that point, yes, yeah. you're about to do a marathon. You've been doing these long training runs. You're putting your body through a lot of challenge. You're using the carbohydrate up out of your muscles and, and beyond. And so we do want to put it in there. And while would we love it if it was all whole grains and all these other things that you're, you're choosing throughout the week to like very selectively and nutritiously tap off your carbohydrate stores, yeah, but if it's me personally, I'm going to go for that good sourdough bread dipped in olive oil, or I would love that pizza, you know, things that, things that you also really enjoy. The key yeah. though, I think is to be aware that it's not, it's not just the excuse to say anything goes because totally. uh, there's a lot of people who will say, boy, I was like training for a marathon and I gained weight and they're stunned. <laughs> Have you heard that a lot? Yeah. No, I've heard, I hear that all the time. And I think part of it is like, you are hungrier. Right. Like, I think you absolutely like, you're burning all this energy, like you are hungrier. But I think it's more of like a mindset thing. And like, you do get into that kind of like reward mentality yeah. of like, oh, I ran 15 miles today. So instead of just being like, I'm gonna have this like, great pizza dinner, because I earned it, which is awesome. It becomes I'm gonna have this like, giant lunch that I wouldn't normally have and the pizza and cake and ice cream. And you just, it, you end up, you know, taking that mentality into like every right. like meal and snack opportunity. Um, so I think it's like, you know, you do need more food if you're, if you're training like this, like certainly, but I feel like it's that similar and I'd love your, your advice and input here, but I try to follow like the 80, 20 rule. Yeah kind of kind of generally and 80 percent of the time I'm, I'm trying to eat really nutritionally and my lean meats my healthy uh, carbohydrates and and all that good stuff and then 20 percent of the time letting myself have mindful indulgences I feel like with a marathon with marathon training I try to maintain that ratio but it's just like a little bit more like volume you know ac like across the board not a huge amount extra though, but just enough to compensate for the extra activity. I agree 100% with that approach. I would also say for people, you know, when you know what that 20% is, as Caitlin said, sort of those mindful indulgences that are things that you really enjoy, you look forward to. And so you're going to add that in, you know, like, like your pizza before your race day. I also would just definitely encourage you not to be apologetic about it. You know, sometimes I think, and you know, speaking to women, especially, there's the, oh, well, I, I ran, you know, whatever, so I'm going to have it or making excuses. No, just have it. You know, whenever I'll have, I mentioned yeah. like that good bread or pizza or whatever. I mean, people will comment like, really, you eat that? Like, I'm surprised. Like, you're a dietitian, you eat that. And I'm thinking, I would be so upset if I didn't have it because it's really delicious Absolutely. and we love it. So 
I love the 80-20 approach with the focus on mostly what we do are these kind of purposeful, intentional, mindful choices that are fueling and nourishing our body well. And then the other is things that can still give us benefit. They're still giving us the carbohydrate. They're still giving us the fuel and they bring so much enjoyment to us. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And again, these are things that we would want to live this way always. And doing something like training for a marathon isn't that we're saying, oh, well, then that makes it okay to have that 20%. It just, like you said, that 20% might even just be a little bit more, a little bigger, or maybe like you're doing, (laughs) yeah, it's just a little bit more specific in that. So you, you shared like the pizza and wine night before. And again, you said specifically one glass of wine, not more. And when we talked earlier, you said that if it was a race that you were really looking at time and performance and you would forego even just that one glass of wine. Yeah, exactly. I, my, I, another, my parents have been with me to a lot of these races and um, we were out at a pizza place before a marathon and my mom got a glass of wine. I remember she was like, oh, this is so delicious. And I was like, you, know, you have to rub that in my face because you know every little small thing you're trying to really optimize if you're trying to get a, a PR or, or just really perform well on race day. So you know, just trying to set yourself up for all the things that you can control. So you can't control the weather. Your training's in the bank at that time. So you can't do anything else to, you know, improve that aspect. Um, But the one thing you can control is what you eat the night before, what you drink the night before, that impacts your sleep. Um, And then, of course, what you eat when you wake up in the morning. Talk to us about that. What's your, what's some of like your favorite, you know, morning of meals or snacks on race day? Yeah, so... Typically on, on morning, before morning workouts these days, um, I will just stay fasted and just have some caffeine. But before a long run or on race day, I, I've come to like those RX bars. Um, again, it's, it's, it's similar to the goose. It's not a bar that I would eat really any other time besides before a long run because they do have a lot of, they, it's all natural sugars in the right. RX bars, but it is still sugar and um, I wouldn't eat it unless I was really putting it to use. Or like we talked about earlier, if it was a mindful indulgence, right. and, you know, something of that nature. But then you mentioned like calories. some of the races yeah. where you have to get there so early, something like the bar is portable that you could also bring with you and have out there. And that almost served as like yeah. your pre-race fuel source. And so before a run like the New York City Marathon, for example, you get up at like five o'clock in the morning and you don't start running until like 11. So I would wake up and have like a bowl of oats with like wild blueberries, like frozen, just throw them in with the oats with some water in the microwave, just have like a good bowl of oatmeal just to kind of like get something digesting through your system. I would know I had several hours to digest it. And then while I mentioned New York City Marathon, you're sitting in this field that's usually freezing in Staten Island for several hours. Something like an RX bar would be good to just like top off your energy before you actually head out. Some of my favorite, you know, pre-breakfast or kind of pre-run fuel sources before longer training runs or before race day would be something like whole grain bread with like almond butter. Also people who like like toaster waffles or something like that, like that can be a good source and having something like, again, the almond butter on there. One thing that I do like is even adding like a little bit of sea salt to something like that. It helps to, it's just like one more way to add electrolytes in through our food before, you know, along with that fuel source. But looking, you know, Caitlin mentioned oatmeal. And so having something like that is going to give 
that the carbohydrates, some whole grains, that fiber, but then also a little bit of protein in that. Is there any like breakfast that people have shared with you that you're like, that's bizarre? Like that's a strange thing? Ooh, that's a good question. I had one guy, he used to like add, he would salt tomato slices. So whatever he was eating as like his pre, pre-run fuel source, it could be like cheese toast or it could have been like, you know, a whole grain bagel with like a nut butter. But he would always add sliced tomatoes with salt sprinkled over them. <laughs> I mean, sounds sounds good. <laughs> it sounds good. I know. I know. But I don't know about, yeah, I guess, I guess early in the morning, like it, it, it was a way that he was like, found it appealing to also like get that extra salt. Yeah. So I think essentially for just our listeners thinking before you're going to be out there, like we said earlier, some of the things that you're going to be able to carry like on your person, like in your little zipper pouches or like Caitlin has her spy belt, you'll have just the goose or these kind of things. So as much as you can get something that's real food that feels sustaining and digest well, the other real big key, of course, is not to do anything new on race day. Use your training runs to try this. Um, if you have one bad experience during a training run, after adding a new food, you'll get it completely. You'll be like, okay, I'm so glad this wasn't the real event. Thinking though, for our listeners, like what's, what's a carbohydrate source that digests well for you? For Caitlin, it's oatmeal. For me, it would be like a, a whole grain bread, you know, a seedy bread even worked well with like almond butter. What's something that's that, that carbohydrate source and then some protein, also some fat? It could be a grilled cheese sandwich that could work for you. And that would also give you that protein, that fat, the sodium and that cheese. So just thinking of like what's something that's going to be real food, ideally that you can have in that meal pre-run, because it may be a while before you're having that real food again. And you're kind of relying on some of those supplements a lot through the run. And then what's one of your favorite like post-run, post-race recovery meals? Two, actually. If I'm out, I will do a bagel with avocado and egg whites, like an everything bagel toasted with avocado and egg whites. And, and a of big course, cup of coffee. you're in Manhattan, <laughs> so it's like real bagels and quality bagels. The best bagels. There's a place to pick a bagel right by Central Park <laughs> that a running buddy and I uh, used to frequent quite a bit. If I'm coming home, then I'll do eggs, like an omelet with some spinach, and then oatmeal. I really like oatmeal. Sometimes we even eat oatmeal as like a carb with whatever protein we're having yeah. for dinner. Yeah. So bowl of oatmeal with, um, with an omelet and some spinach and like maybe a slice of avocado yeah. and, um, and definitely some, some coffee in there. Um, it's like a favorite recovery meal. And looking at that recovery of being, again, sort of like our pre-workout fueling is that blend of carbohydrates, protein, some fat to slow that digestion. So it holds you, but not so much that it could cause GI upset. Um, you know, so Looking at, I love to have a meal that isn't fat-free, but has some fat in it before. And then after, looking at how are you going to get those carbs, including that source of protein with it, is going to help with recovery. We look at a ratio of like four to one carb to protein. I would say even just to our listeners, if you're just getting started, don't get hung up on all of that. You know, just what are you eating before that's going to give you some carbs and protein? What are you going to eat during that's going to give you fast digested carbs, which is usually going to be more sugary carbs. And then also what's going to be your electrolytes? Y'all heard me saying to Caitlin, oh my gosh, wait, I can't believe you were just doing water. We could do something <laughs> like the saltier versions of goo or the salted cliff blocks by the little margarita blocks. Or the are, noon. Tablet. Or the noon, adding those tablets to your water. So how am I going to get carbs and protein before? How am I going to get those fast digested, more sugary carbs and some electrolytes during along with my hydration? And then what am I going to do for 
carbs and that source of protein after. And we can really keep it basic at that. And if you're looking at training for this and you want to take it to the next level, reach out, find a registered dietitian. I'm going to put the link in our episode notes to find a dietitian in your region, um, specifically a sports dietitian. And then Caitlin, you've covered so much on running and performance fueling that we're going to put a link links to a bunch of the different pieces that you've written in the show notes of the episode too. Awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. I have specifically one that you and I worked on a while back for women's running, um, oh. what to eat before a run. Um, and then some other links, um, I'll include as well. Okay, cool. Tell me about also the Paceline Fit app. Yeah. So this is kind of a way to get some good rewards for, um, any gear that you're going to be buying and also groceries. It's also a really amazing motivator. So if you're someone that thinks that training for a marathon might be on the horizon, but you know, maybe you have you know trouble getting motivated to keep up with an exercise routine, it's an app called Paceline. Essentially, you link it with your wearables. So that could be Apple Watch, Fitbit, Garmin are the three that it works with. It tracks your elevated heart rate activity. So like Molly was saying, tons of great benefits simply for walking. A brisk walk elevates your heart rate enough to get like, quote unquote credit. When you get uh, 150 minutes of elevated heart rate in the week, it's like 21 minutes a day, it comes down to, you'll get free rewards in the app. And that can be anything from like Liquid IV is an electrolyte brand. There's like a free three pack on there right now. Um, sometimes it's discounts to really cool fitness brands like Hyperice or Alala. Dollar Amazon gift cards are on there. So just kind of a cool way to keep yourself motivated. And now they have a credit card. It's called the Paceline card. It's um, through Visa. And I have it myself. You get up to 5% cash back on health and wellness purchases. So that's your running sneakers. My that's favorite cool. are Adidas. The 5% cash back also counts for groceries like Whole Foods, that's Trader Joe's, cool. places like that. Um, and the way that you get that amount of cash back is by logging that amount of exercise. So wow. normally you'd get 2.5%. If you log the exercise, it doubles it to 5%. Wow. So that's anyway, really just a cool, cool little yeah. hack for, for, um, for runners out there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's very, very cool. And then tell me what is next on your marathon horizon. So there's another kind of a marathon club, you would call it. It's called um, the Seven Continents Club. And basically, it's running a marathon on every continent, including Antarctica. Oh, oh my God. So, then you do have a little more choice here, other than the uh, marathon majors are super specific. This is just like any marathon on the That's seven continents will, cool. will get you in. So, um, so, yeah, I'm looking at maybe Cape Town in South Africa, oh, potentially wow. like this time next year as, as the next one. And we'll need to get one in Australia or New Zealand. South America is still on my list. And then probably would say Antarctica for last. I've heard that's more like a really cold, snowy hike. So. I don't know. It depends on how long this takes you. Maybe better to start with that one. You yeah, know? That's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> as you're like, delayed gratification. Right. Or like, <laughs> how many years in is it going to take you to do all seven continents? Maybe, be like, maybe keep it while you're in your 30s on doing that one. Um, that's a really, that's really cool. Um, thank you so much for your time on this. I think it's just one of those, like, I think that you're like a perfect person for this because you have a lot of knowledge on it. You've interviewed, you've written on the topic forever. We've, we have links to a bunch of these. You also have experienced it as 
the everyday consumer getting into it. You know, it was someone like you've gone through everything and all the different phases of the journey that anyone listening will be or would go through if they started this themselves. So I think it's just really good to hear from your perspective and the things that work from you. And then also, I think not overcomplicating it, you know, keeping it simple. Yeah, well, yeah that's, it's so true. I think it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more, um, it's a lot simpler than I think a lot of people think training for a marathon and, and being able to cross that, that finish line. So definitely would encourage anyone considering it to, you know, really start looking into which one you'd want to do. <laughs> well, sweet. Thank you so much for your time and your inspiration, Caitlin. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Molly. This has been so fun and thanks for having me. I always enjoy my conversations, my interviews with Caitlin. So I'm excited to have had the opportunity to flip the script, turn the tables and actually talk with her, feature her and her story. I hope that hearing her journey from, you know, having such a challenge to even run a single mile, to having done 10 marathons, six majors, to me, that's so inspiring. She is an everyday person who has had these struggles and just kind of put her mind to it and really has succeeded in this space. Also hearing that fueling for this type of training doesn't have to be that complicated. Making sure you're getting your carbs before, during, after. We talked about how to strategically pair them with proteins, especially before, during, figuring out what's going to be that source of carb that's going to be fast digested, easy on your stomach, easy on your system. That's really the main thing is how can you fuel optimally, what's going to sit well with you, what are foods that you like enough that you enjoy that during these long extended training runs, you don't mind continuing to reach for these things. They're portable, they're easy. So that's, you know, really kind of the more challenging part is that trial and error of finding what works for you. As we said, never trying anything new on race day, using those training runs as they get longer and longer to start experimenting with What's your carb source going to be? What's your hydration, that electrolyte-rich hydration source going to be? So also, Caitlin mentioned several different articles that she's written about performance fueling and marathon training. And so I'm going to link to those in the show notes of this episode. And always let me know what you think. If you're hearing this, if it kind of plants that seed, you start training for that longer event, always reach out to me. I want to hear about it. I am registered dietitian Molly Kimball, and you've been listening the Fueled Wellness and Nutrition podcast. If you'd like more Fueled Wellness and Nutrition, please head over to mollykimball.com and you can follow me, Molly Kimball RD, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another dose of Fueled Wellness and Nutrition. Thanks for listening and stay focused on living your strongest, healthiest life. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.